Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lovren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book One The Wreath Part Two The Wreath Chapter Eight So that was finally settled, Kristen told herself. But she felt exhausted, drained, and sick with yearning for Erlon's arms. She lay awake most of the night, and she decided to do what she had never before dared. She would send a message to Erland. It wasn't easy to find someone who could carry out this errand for her. The lay sisters never went out alone, and she couldn't think of anyone she knew who would do it. The men who did the farm work were older and seldom came near the nun's residence except to speak with the abbess. So Olaf was the only one. He was a half-grown boy who worked in the gardens. He had been Fru Groa's foster son ever since he was found one morning as a newborn infant on the steps of the church. People said his mother was one of the lay sisters. She was supposed to become a nun, but after she had sat in the dark cell for six months—for gross disobedience, it was said, and that was after the child was found—she was given lay sister garb, and since then she had worked in the farmyard. During the past months, Kristen had often thought about Sister Ingrid's fate, but she had never had the chance to talk to her. It was risky to count on Olaf. He was only a child, and Fru Groa and all the nuns talked to him and teased him whenever they saw him. But Kristen thought she had very little left to lose, and a couple of days later, when Olaf was about to go into town one morning, Kristen asked him to take her message out to Akersnes, telling Erland to find some excuse so they could meet alone. That same afternoon, Ulf, Erland's own servant, appeared at the speaking gate. He said he was Osmund Bjorgelsen's man, and had been sent by his master to ask whether Osmund's niece might come into town for a while, because he didn't have time to come up to Nanasetter himself. Kristen thought this would never work. But when Sister Potentia asked her whether she knew the messenger, she said yes. So she went with Ulf over to Brynhild Fluga's house. Erland was waiting for her in the loft. He was nervous and tense, and Kristen realized at once that he was again afraid of the one thing that he seemed to fear most. She always felt a pang in her heart that he should be so terrified that she might be carrying a child, when they couldn't seem to stay away from each other. So anxious was she feeling that evening that she said as much to him, quite angrily. Erland's face turned dark red. He lay his head on her shoulder. You're right, he said. I should try to leave you alone, Kristen, and not keep testing your luck in this way, if you want me to. She threw her arms around him and laughed, but he clasped her tightly around the waist and pressed her down onto a bench. Then he sat down on the other side of the table. When she reached her hand across to him, he impetuously kissed her palm. I've been trying harder than you have, he said fiercely. If you only knew how important I think it is for both of us that we be married with full honor. 
Then you should not have taken me, said Kristen. Erlond hid his face in his hands. No, I wish to God that I hadn't done you this wrong, he said. Neither one of us wishes that, said Kristen with a giddy laugh. And as long as I can be reconciled and make peace in the end with my family and with God, then I won't grieve if I have to be wed wearing the wimple of a married woman. As long as I can be with you, I often think that I could even do without peace. You're going to bring honor back to my manor, said Erland. I'm not going to pull you down into my disgrace. Kristen shook her head. Then she said, You'll be glad to hear that I've spoken to Simon Andresen, and he's not going to bind me to the agreements that were made for us before I met you. Erland was jubilant, and Kristen had to tell him everything, although she kept to herself the derogatory words that Simon had spoken about Erland. But she did mention that he refused to let Lavrens think he was the one to blame. That's reasonable, said Erland curtly. They like each other, your father and Simon, don't they? Lavrens will like me less. Kristen took these words to mean that Erland understood she would still have a difficult path ahead of her before they had settled everything, and she was grateful for that. But he didn't return to this topic. He was overjoyed and said he had been afraid she wouldn't have the courage to speak to Simon. I can see that you're fond of him, in a way, he said. Does it matter to you, asked Kristen, after all that you and I have been through, that I realize Simon is both a just and capable man? If you had never met me, said Erland, you could have enjoyed good days with him, Kristen. Why do you laugh? Oh, I'm thinking about something that Fru Asild once said, replied Kristen. I was only a child back then, but it was something about good days being granted to sensible people, but the grandest of days are enjoyed by those who dare to act unwisely. God bless Aunt Asild for teaching you that, said Erland, taking her onto his lap. It's strange, Kristen, but I haven't noticed that you were ever afraid. Haven't you ever noticed? she asked, pressing herself to him. He set her on the edge of the bed and took off her shoes. But then he pulled her back over to the table. Oh no, Kristen. Now things look bright for both of us. I wouldn't have acted toward you as I have, he said, stroking her hair over and over, if it hadn't been for the fact that every time I saw you, I thought it was so unlikely that they would ever give me such a fine and beautiful wife. Sit down here and drink with me. At that moment there was a pounding on the door, as if someone were striking it with the hilt of a sword. Open the door, Erlon Niklausen, if you're in there. It's Simon Dara, said Kristen softly. Open up, man, in the name of the devil, if you are a man, shouted Simon, striking the door again. Erlon went over to the bed and took his sword down from the peg. He looked around in bewilderment. There's no place here for you to hide, except in the bed. It wouldn't make things any better if I did that, said Kristen. She had stood up and spoke quite calmly, but Erland saw that she was trembling. You'll have to open the door, she said in the same voice. Simon was hammering on the door again. Erland went over and drew back the bolt. Simon stepped inside, holding a drawn sword in his hand, but he stuck it back into its scabbard at once. For a moment, the three of them stood there without saying a word. 
Kristen was shaking, and yet in those first few moments she felt an oddly sweet excitement. Deep inside her something rose up, sensing this fight between two men, and she exhaled slowly. Here was the culmination to those endless months of silent waiting and longing and fear. She looked from one man to the other, their faces pale, their eyes shining. Then her excitement collapsed into an unfathomable, freezing despair. There was more cold contempt than indignation or jealousy in Simondara's eyes, and she saw that Erland, behind his obstinate expression, was burning with shame. It dawned on her how other men would judge him, he who had allowed her to come to him in such a place, and she realized that it was as if he had been struck in the face. She knew that he was burning to pull out his sword and fall upon Simon. Why have you come here, Simon? she shouted loudly, sounding frightened. Both men turned toward her. To take you home, said Simon. You shouldn't be here. You no longer have any right to command Kristen Lovren's daughter, said Erland furiously. She is mine now. No doubt she is, said Simon coarsely, and what a lovely bridal house you've brought her to. He stood there for a moment, breathing hard. Then he regained control over his voice and continued calmly. But as things stand right now, I'm still her betrothed, until her father can come to get her. And until then, I intend to defend, with both the point and the edge of my sword, as much of her honor as can be protected, in the judgment of other people. You don't need to do that. I can do it myself. Erland again turned as red as blood under Simon's gaze. Do you think I would allow myself to be threatened by a whelp like you? He bellowed, putting his hand on the hilt of his sword. Simon put his hands behind his back. I'm not so timid that I'm afraid you'll think I'm afraid of you, he said in the same tone as before. I shall fight you, Erlon Nikolausen, and you can bet the devil on that, if you do not ask Kristen's father for her hand within a reasonable time. I won't do it at your bidding, Simon Andresen, said Erlon angrily. Crimson washed over his face again. No, do it to right the wrong you have done to so young a wife, replied Simon unperturbed. That will be better for Kristen. Kristen screamed shrilly, tormented by Erlon's pain. She stamped on the floor. Go now, Simon, go! What right do you have to meddle in our affairs? I've already told you, replied Simon. You'll have to put up with me until your father has released us from each other. Kristen broke down completely. Go, go, I'll come right away. Jesus, why are you tormenting me like this, Simon? You can't think it's worth it for you to worry about my affairs. It's not for your sake I'm doing this, replied Simon. Erland, won't you tell her that she has to come with me? Erland's face quivered. He touched her shoulder. You have to go now, Kristen. Simon Dara and I will talk about this some other time. Kristen rose obediently. She fastened her cloak around her. Her shoes stood next to the bed. She remembered them, but didn't have the courage to put them on with Simon watching. Outside, the fog had descended again. Kristen rushed along with her head bowed and her hands clutching at her cloak. Her throat was bursting with suppressed sobs. 
Wildly, she wished that there was some place she could go to be alone, to weep and weep. The worst, the very worst, she still had ahead of her. She had experienced something new that night, and now she was writhing from it. How it felt to see the man she had given herself to humiliated. Simon was at her elbow as she dashed through the narrow alleys and across the streets and the open squares where the buildings had vanished. They could see nothing but the fog. Once, when she stumbled over something, he gripped her arm and stopped her from falling. Don't run so fast, he said. People are staring at us. How you're trembling, he said in a gentler tone. Kristen was silent and kept walking. She slipped on the muck of the road. She was soaking wet, and her feet were ice cold. The hose she wore were made of leather, but quite thin. She could feel them starting to split open, and the mud seeped into her naked feet. They reached the bridge across the convent creek and walked more slowly up the slope on the other side. Kristen, said Simon suddenly, your father must never hear of this. How did you know that I was there? Kristen asked. I came to talk to you, replied Simon tersely. Then I heard about the servant sent by your uncle. I knew that Osmond was in Hadland. The two of you aren't very good at inventing ruses. Did you hear what I just said? Yes, replied Kristen. I was the one who sent word to Erland that we should meet at the Fluga house. I knew the woman. Then shame on you. But you couldn't have known what kind of woman she is. And he... Now listen, said Simon sternly. If it is possible to conceal it, then you should conceal from Lovrens what you have thrown away. And if you cannot, then you must try to spare him the worst of the shame. You certainly show great concern for my father, said Kristen, trembling. She tried to speak defiantly, but her voice was about to break with tears. Simon walked on a short distance. Then he stopped. She caught a glimpse of his face as they stood out there alone in the fog. She had never seen him look that way before. I've noticed it every time I've been out to visit your home, he said. You, his women, have so little understanding of the kind of man Lovrens is. Trondiesling said that he doesn't keep you all in line, but why should Lovrens bother with such things when he was born to rule over men? He had the makings of a chieftain. He was someone men would have followed, gladly. But these are not the times for such men. My father knew him at Bagahus, and so it has ended with him living up there in the valley, almost like a peasant. He was married off much too young. And your mother, with that temperament of hers, was not the one to make it any easier for him to lead such a life. It's true that he has many friends, but do you think that any one of them can measure up to him? His sons he was not allowed to keep. It was you daughters who were to continue the lineage after him. Will he now have to endure the day when he sees that one is without health and another is without honor? Kristen clasped her hands to her heart. She felt that she had to hold on to it to make herself as hard as she needed to be. Why are you telling me this? She whispered after a moment. You neither want to possess me nor marry me any more. That I do not, said Simon uncertainly. God help me, Kristen. I remember you on that night in the loft at Finsbrecken. But may the devil take me alive if I ever trust a maiden by her eyes again. 
promise me this, that you will not see Erland until your father arrives, he said as they stood at the gate. I won't promise that, said Kristen. Then he will make me this promise, said Simon. I won't meet him, replied Kristen quickly. That poor little dog I once sent you, said Simon before they parted. You must let your sisters have him. They're so fond of him. If you don't mind seeing him in the house, that is. I'm heading north tomorrow morning, he said, taking her hand in farewell as the sister keeping the gate looked on. Simon Dara walked down toward the town. He struck at the air with his clenched fist as he walked, muttering in a low voice and cursing at the mist. He swore to himself that he wasn't sorry about her. Kristen was like something he had believed to be pure gold, but when he saw it up close, it was merely brass and tin. White as a snowflake, she had knelt and put her hand into the flame. That was a year ago. This year she was drinking wine with an excommunicated rogue in Fluga's loft. The devil take it, no! It was because of Lovrens Bjorgelfsen, who was sitting up there at Jurengard and believed never would it have occurred to Lovrens that they might betray him in this way. Now he would have to bring Lovrens the message himself and be an accomplice in lying to this man. That was why his heart was burning with grief and rage. Kristen had not intended to keep her promise to Simon Dara, but she managed to exchange only a few words with Erland one evening up on the road. She stood there holding his hand, strangely submissive, while he talked about what had happened in Brynhild's loft the last time they had met. He would speak to Simon Andresen some other time. If we had fought up there, news of it would have spread all over town, said Erland angrily. He knew that quite well, that Simon. Kristen could see how the incident had made him suffer. She had also been thinking about it constantly ever since. There was no escaping the fact that in this situation, Erland was left with even less honor than she was, and she felt that now they were truly one flesh. She would have to answer for everything he did, even when she disliked his conduct, and she would feel it on her own hand when Erland so much as scratched his skin. Three weeks later, Lavrens Bjorgelsen came to Oslo to get his daughter. Kristen was both afraid and sick at heart when she went to the parlatory to meet her father. The first thing that struck her as she watched him conversing with Sister Potentia was that he didn't look the same as she remembered him. Perhaps he had not actually changed since they parted a year ago, but over the years she had always seen him as the young, vigorous, and handsome man she had been so proud to have as her father when she was small. Each winter and each summer that had passed up there at home had no doubt marked him and made him age, just as they had seen her develop into a grown-up young woman. But she had not noticed it. She hadn't noticed that his hair had paled in some spots and had acquired a rusty reddish sheen at his temples, the way blonde hair goes gray. His cheeks had become dry and thin so that the muscles of his face extended like cords to his mouth. His youthful white and pink complexion had grown uniformly weather-beaten. His back had not bowed, and yet his shoulder blades curved in a different manner beneath his cape. His step was light and steady as he came toward her with his hand outstretched, 
but these were not the same limber, brisk movements of the past. All of these things had probably been present the year before, but Kristen simply hadn't noticed. Perhaps there was a slight touch of something else, a touch of dejection that made her see these things now. She burst into tears. Lovrens put his arm around her shoulder and held his hand to her cheek. Now, now, try to calm yourself, child, he said gently. Are you angry with me, father? she asked softly. Surely you must realize that I am, he replied. But he kept on caressing her cheek. But you also know full well that you needn't be afraid of me, he said sadly. No, you must calm down now, Kristen. Aren't you ashamed to be acting this way? She was crying so hard that she had to sit down on a bench. We're not going to speak of these matters here where people are coming and going, he said, sitting down next to her and taking her hand. Aren't you going to ask me about your mother and your sisters? What does mother say about all this? asked his daughter. Oh, you can imagine what she thinks. But we're not going to talk about that here, he said again. Otherwise, she's fine. And then he began to tell her all about everyone back home, until Kristen gradually grew calmer. But she felt as if the tension only grew worse as her father refused to say anything about her breach of promise. He gave her money to distribute among the poor at the convent and gifts for the lay sisters. He himself gave generously to the convent and to the sisters, and no one at Nanasetter had any other thought than that Kristen was now going home to celebrate her betrothal and her marriage. They both ate the last meal at Fru Groa's table in the abbess's room, and the abbess gave Kristen the best report. But all this finally came to an end. She said her last goodbyes to the sisters and her friends at the convent gate. Lovrens escorted her to her horse and lifted her into the saddle. It was so strange to be riding with her father and the men from Jurengard down to the bridge, along the road on which she had crept in the dark. It was so odd to be riding so nobly and freely through the streets of Oslo. She thought about the magnificent wedding procession that Erland had spoken of so often. Her heart grew heavy. It would have been easier if he had taken her with him. There was still a long time remaining for her to be one person in secret and another in public with other people. But then her gaze fell on her father's aging, somber face, and she tried to convince herself that Erland was right after all. There were other travelers at the hostel. In the evening, they all ate together in a small room with an open hearth where there were only two beds. Lovrens and Kristen were to sleep there, for they were the foremost guests at the inn. The others left when it grew late, saying a friendly good night and then dispersing to find a place to sleep. Kristen thought about the fact that she was the one who had sneaked up to Brynhild Fluga's loft and allowed Erlan to take her in his arms. Sick with sorrow and the fear that she might never be his, she felt that she no longer belonged here among these people. Her father was sitting over on the bench, looking at her. We're not going to Skog this time? Kristen asked, to break the silence. No, replied Lovrens. I've had enough of listening to your uncle for a while, about why I don't use force against you, he explained when she looked at him. Yes, I would force you to keep your word, he said after a moment, if only Simon hadn't said that he did not want an unwilling wife. 
I have never given Simon my word, said Kristen hastily. You always said before that you would never force me into a marriage. It would not be force if I demanded that you keep to an agreement that has been known to everyone for such a long time, replied Lavrens. For two winters people have called you betrothed, and you never said a word of protest or showed any unwillingness until the wedding day was set. If you want to hide behind the fact that the matter was postponed last year so that you have never given Simon your promise, I would not call that honorable conduct. Kristen stood there gazing into the fire. I don't know which looks worse, her father continued. People will either say that you have cast Simon out or that you have been abandoned. Sir Andres sent me a message. Lavrens turned red as he said this. He was angry with the boy and begged me to demand whatever penalties I might find reasonable. I had to tell him the truth. I don't know whether the alternative would have been any better. That if there were penalties to be paid, we were the ones to do so. We both share the blame. I can't see that the shame is so great, murmured Kristen, since Simon and I both agree. Agree? Lavren seized upon the word. He didn't hide the fact that he was unhappy about it, but he said that after the two of you had talked, he didn't think anything but misery would result if he demanded that you keep the agreement. But now you must tell me why you have made this decision. Didn't Simon say anything about it? asked Kristen. He seemed to think, said her father, that you had given your affections to another man. Now you must tell me how things stand, Kristen. Kristen hesitated for a moment. God knows, she said quietly. I realize that Simon would be good enough for me, more than that. But it's true that I have come to know another man, and then I realized that I would never have another joyous moment in my life if I had to live with Simon, not if he possessed all the gold in England. I would rather have the other man, even if he owned no more than a single cow. You can't expect me to give you to a servant, said her father. He is my equal and more, replied Kristen. He has enough of both possessions and land, but I simply meant that I would rather sleep with him on bare straw than with any other man in a silk bed. Her father was silent for a moment. It's one thing, Kristen, that I would not force you to take a man you don't want even though only God and St. Olaf know what you might have against the man I had promised you to. But it's another matter whether the man you have now set your heart on is the sort that I would allow you to marry. You're young and have little experience, and setting his sights on a maiden who is betrothed is not something a decent man would normally do. That's not something a person can help, said Kristen vehemently. Oh, yes, he can. But this much you have to realize, that I will not offend the Defren people by betrothing you again as soon as you turn your back on Simon, and least of all to a man who might seem more distinguished or who is richer. You must tell me who this man is, he said after a moment. Kristen clasped her hands tight, breathing hard. Then she said hesitantly, I can't do that, father. Things are such that if I cannot have this man, then you can take me back to the convent and leave me there for good. Then I don't think I can live any longer. But it wouldn't be right for me to tell you his name before I know whether he has as good intentions toward me 
as I do toward him. You, you mustn't force me to tell you who he is until, until it becomes clear whether he intends to ask you for my hand through his kinsman. Lovrance was silent for a long time. He could not be displeased that his daughter acted in this manner. At last he said, Then let it be so. It's reasonable that you would prefer not to give his name since you don't know his intentions. After a moment he said, You must go to bed now, Kristen. He came over to her and kissed her. You've caused much sorrow and anger with this notion of yours, my daughter, but you know that your welfare is what I have most at heart. God help me. I would feel the same no matter what you did. He and his gentle mother will help us to turn this to the best. Go now and sleep well. After he had gone to bed, Lovrens thought he heard the faint sound of sobbing from the other bed where his daughter lay, but he pretended to be asleep. He didn't have the heart to tell her that he now feared the old gossip about her and Arna and Bentine would be dug up again but it weighed heavily on his mind that there was little he could do to prevent the child's good reputation from being sullied behind his back. And the worst thing was that he thought she might have brought this upon herself by her own thoughtlessness. <laughs> <laughs>